great way to start a morning. How are the rest of you doing? All right, that's great. Hey, happy 4th of July. Uh, no, which is great because this is the weekend that we get to celebrate the fact that we live in an open country, which means we get to worship who we want, however we want, whenever we want, wherever we want, and we get to choose Jesus. That's an awesome thing. As a way to celebrate, we got food trucks outside, which is going to be great. So just a pro tip, pro tip. The first $100 in sides that y'all perchance purchase from the barbecue truck are on us, all right? So get in line first. That's for both services. So if you're online real quick and you're like, I wasn't going to go, just like pretend that you were going to come to second service, get your free sides. Uh, one of the sides is mac and cheese. So for your kids, uh, just pretend like that was an entree, like side order mac and cheese. And all of a sudden you're like, hey, buddy, I bought you a meal. But it was really us, right? Do that. But... Before we get there, we get to jump into Summer Deep Dive 2.0, where we're looking at the book of Colossians. So, last month, we did Summer Deep Dive. Uh, we looked at Philippians. There's four chapters of Philippians. There's four Sundays in June. It worked out. It was real nice. Uh, and y'all loved it so much, we decided, let's do that again. Uh, so let's find another four-chapter book uh, of the New Testament, and, and let's see what we can do. And we're going to cover Colossians again. Four chapters, four Sundays, it's going to work out real well. Unlike Philippians, where the main theme is joy, because essentially the reason that that letter gets written is Paul's like, hey, thanks for the ministry support, and then writes a really happy letter, right? Which is a good idea. If anyone ever gives you stuff, be happy about it and thank them, right? That's the deal going on in Philippians. Colossians is a bit different. The main issue in Colossians is identity. As in, who is Jesus? Who are we? Like, what is a Christian? And once we've established that long list of things, uh, what do we do? Right? That's a lot of important stuff to figure out. Uh, because the Colossian church, or the church at Colossae, that's the city, uh, they were living in what's modern-day Turkey, but it was known as the province of Asia uh, in the Roman Empire, and they had a problem. Their identity was getting hijacked. They had a lot of different things going on, some of it being like religious practices that were kind of starting to make the church not look like Jesus. That was a problem. They also lived in a culture that was not a big fan of Jesus, uh, that being the Roman Empire. And to be a Christian in the first century in the Roman Empire, not an easy thing. And so into that, Paul and Timothy, the two authors of Colossians, are like, all right, guys, here's our identity. Here's who Jesus is. This is what we do. With that in mind, because it's the first week of July, we're going to look at Colossians 1. So turn in whatever kind of Bible you're working with, the Colossians chapter 1. Uh, if you're old school and brought a paper Bible, good on you. Uh, if you're online, Google it. It'll show up. Uh, or if you've got a phone, which I know all y'all take everywhere with you, uh, the YouVersion Bible app is free, so there's no excuse not to have a Bible with you. Uh, but go ahead, pretend, like, text somebody. Pretend like that's what you're doing uh, and click your run over to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to pick it up in verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
the Son, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. the first audience to hear that would have been terrified. Now, they lived in the first century under the Roman Empire. If a Roman officer got a hold of whoever was carrying that letter, they get crucified on the spot. If a Roman officer hears that in an assembly of first century Christians, they all die. Because that is treason. Now, I understand that in 21st century Benton Harbor, that does not sound like treason to us. But let me tell you why. Because we don't share a context with them. We're a wildly different place in time. But to understand what was going on for them, we have to lock in with their world. See, their world was ruled by these people called Romans. Uh, and in particular, the guy who established the Roman Empire was named Caesar Augustus. He kind of oversaw the nail in the coffin of Rome having a republic and transformed it into an empire. They'd conquered the entire Mediterranean world and had a problem because uh, that's a lot of people. So how do you get a bunch of people like that who are so diverse you can't even know what to do with yourself? It's over three continents and what is happening? So how do you bring them all together? And then Caesar Augustus had a brilliant idea. How about they worship me as God? First of all, big opinion of yourself. <laughs> but he decided that that was the way he was going to unite his empire. And it wasn't a huge deal because everybody at that time was polytheistic. They believed in hundreds of gods. And he's like, hey, add one more. And everyone was like, sounds good to us. I mean, whatever. And where that initial emperor worship started was in modern-day Turkey, same region Colossae is in. Now, rather than just tell you that they worshipped him like God, I want to show you some things that Caesar had written about himself and that are still in play for every Caesar during the New Testament. So this first one uh, comes from a guy named Horace, because that's what they used to name their children, uh, in a book called Odes. First one is this. Uh, he writes about Caesar Augustus, Thine age, O Caesar, has wiped away our sins and revived the ancient virtues. As long as Caesar is guardian of the state, neither civil dissension nor violence shall banish peace. Sounds kind of creepy to a room expecting we're worshiping Jesus like that. So to recap, uh, Caesar forgives sins, establishes peace. I think most of you have probably heard that somewhere else before. That's not all. Uh, 
Number two, uh, this one written by a guy named Virgil, again, really unique name, uh, in the Aeneid, which was the foundational document in Roman culture. It was their favorite book uh, that they would all know and love and listen to a lot because most of them were illiterate, so they didn't read it. But they heard it a lot, and it says this. This is the one who we were promised, Augustus Caesar, son of a god, who again set up the golden age. So... He's a promised one, like one we were promised in advance, uh, and also he's the son of a god. Also, at some point, they're going to drop the son of title, and they're just going to be like, we're gods. But before you all get creeped out, it's re- like if you're online, it is real silent in here. Uh, there's one more I want to show you. Uh, we found this at uh, a town called Priene, uh, which is just a mild stone's launch from Colossae, but it's in the same region, uh, and it was on one of their calendars, because where we do like pictures to like, oh, it's a nice calendar, yay, it's a nice little nature scene, they did uh, inscriptions uh, to just say what the calendar was for, who it was dedicated to, etc., and here's what we found on that one. Since Providence, which has ordered all things, gave us Augustus, sending him as a savior, that he might end war and arrange all things. And since he, Caesar, by his appearance, excelled even our anticipations, surpassing all previous benefactors and not even to leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done. And since the birthday of the God Augustus was the beginning of the gospel for the world. Just so you know, that was written in 9 BC. As in, all the things I just read to you that you're all like, that's kind of weird, were written before Jesus was born on earth. Uh, because we're bad at counting, Jesus was born like 4 or 5 BC, because uh, the first time we tried to arrange a calendar, we missed. Uh, but before that, all of these things were written about Caesar. Things like he forgives sins, he's a savior, he uh, establishes peace, all things are for him, uh, has a gospel, and like he has the supremacy, like nothing can surpass what that guy did. All of that's written about Caesar, and into that culture that worships him like a god, Paul and Timothy are like, how do we tell them how, who Jesus is? I know. We will pull this whole list together uh, and be like, all right, they think this is Caesar, but let's have a little course correction on who belongs with those titles. Listen again. I'm going to read this passage again. So with fresh ears, hear what Paul and Timothy, the situation they're putting their church in. For he... Jesus has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The son is the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him, and they're for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have him dwell all the fullness in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, making peace." 
through blood shed on a cross. Do you hear the tension? First of all, that's kind of awkward. Like for us, we're like, hey, we've only heard that said about Jesus, which is good that we don't worship like uh, humans as God. Generally speaking, that's a good thing. But for this first century audience, Paul and Timothy, the authors of this letter, put them in an ultimatum. They put their entire church in a bad situation because they have two choices. Option number one, go with what your entire culture does, worship Caesar as God, but also that ain't Christianity and you're not really part of the church at that point. Or commit treason, risk your life, and worship Jesus. Now, that choice is still before us today. don't have like, you know, we're not in a polytheistic country where like everything's a God. Generally speaking, there are places in the world where that's the case, but that's not really our issue. Uh, We don't worship our presidents as gods. At least I don't think we do. And certainly don't make that proclamation about themselves. Like we don't have that kind of an issue, but we've just kind of modernized it and gave us some more cool options. Make no mistake, there are still things that compete for your loyalty that aren't Jesus. So, the gospel, uh, in as concise of terms as I can put it, turns out sounding pretty Kanye West. Uh, Jesus is king. I might add on to that, Jesus is king, get on board. Because that's the message of the gospel. That is the New Testament in a nutshell. Because they're not really giving you an option. They're like, hey, you have a choice to make. But it's not a simple one. Uh, It's one or the other. Either Jesus is king or someone else is. Either Jesus is king and is the one that we determine all of our decision making upon. The one who actually is the trendsetter, rule setter, and direction giver for our lives. Or something else is. Make a choice. So I, gave, I made us a short list of just three things that I think compete for our loyalty the most now. This is not an exhaustive list. This is not everything that's on the list, but it's just three different windows to kind of see this through. So the first thing I think that competes for our loyalty a lot uh, is relationships. I might actually just specify that down, romantic relationships. I remember I was talking to a friend of mine. We actually got married uh, about the same time. Uh, last week was my seven-year anniversary, so made it. Uh, we're, we're above average, hon. We did it. We made it past five years, which is apparently the mark. Woo! Everything's gravy from here. Uh, but <laughs> this friend of mine uh, and I got married about a month apart uh, a, f- a few years ago. Uh, but we were having a conversation a couple years after we'd been married. We were just kind of like in that home life. And so we we're just sitting at the kitchen table drinking coffee because that's what we do. Uh, and he's like, you know, Chad, I miss the chase. Tell me more about that. And he's like, well, like, you remember we were single? Like, everything is about get a girl, get a girl, get a girl, get a girl. Like, is she hot? Ooh, do I like her? Is she hot a personality I can jive with? Like, ooh, is she cool? Like, and all of your attention is focused on, can I get that girl? And then when you, like, pick someone, you, like, got to ask them out, and you got to, like, plan this whole, like, date situation, and you're like, well, she like Panera. And you got to figure that out and what's going on there, and, like, you got to pay for a lot of stuff because y- y'all are expensive. Uh, LAUGHTER 
<laughs> My wife's a cheap date. Make of that what you will. <laughs> she, hey, hey, hey. She likes pizza. Come on. That's where I lost you, really? <laughs> Noted. Noted. All right. Lost them at cheap date. Don't say that second service. Got it. All right. So, but you got to figure out how to pay for all this stuff because, you know, I'm the guy. I'm expected to pay because that's what we do. But then eventually, once you get past the, is she going to leave immediately because, like, my breath or, like, my teeth look kind of weird or whatever. Like, once you get past that phase, you're like, okay, is this the one I want to marry? Like, does she make my whole list of, of things? Like, okay, do I want to marry her? But also, if you're like, yes, and then you're, like, locked in, you're like, okay, um, how do I propose? Because hopefully that's something you only have to do once, maybe twice in your life, uh, depending on your life situation. But you're like, I want to get it right the first time, right? And even if you know what she's going to say, it's really nerve-wracking because you're like, hey, here's my soul. I love you. Uh, and you just kind of see how that goes. But then she says, yes, finally. And then you got to plan a wedding and you got to plan a honeymoon. Hey, yo, uh, that's great. Uh, and then you actually go through with the wedding and you actually get to go on the honeymoon. And then eventually you are home. And the chase of that adventure looks different. First of all, I would, I would just submit to you that stability is a heck of a lot better than like chaotic adventure, but there is less adrenaline involved. I will give us that. But I was talking with my buddy, and he's like, yeah, I, I miss that chase. I got to figure out how to like transfer that, but also all of my attention was on that for so long. And all of our attention ends up getting put on this one tiny little object that doesn't stand up because it's rounded. Um, and all of our attention is just locked in on this ring. Like, who am I going to give this to? Who is going to make me settle down and put this on my finger? Like, what am I going to do? But then all of a sudden you realize that like years of your life went by and you missed a whole heck of a lot that wasn't her. Marriage is a very good thing, and I would like, of all the things about me, number one, I follow Jesus. Number two, I'm married to Abby, right? That's like one of the best things about me, but if that ever goes to number one, where it's more important than Jesus, we have a problem. Because if Jesus is king, he's making the decisions. So when it comes down to decision time, what you got to do, uh, trying to figure that out, the if the decision comes down to, okay, this is the way to honor God over here, uh, this is what Jesus kind of like says, it kind of outlines, I should do that. Or the other side, but if I do something else, that'll impress her. If I do something else, that'll make that one I got my eye on really happy. Or maybe I got to like play that down in order to actually get a date. If that's where we're at, don't miss it. Whatever makes that decision is king. Make it Jesus. So that's thing number one. Romantic relationships, they're beautiful, they're good. Definitely uh, pursue them unless you're like called to singleness. Some people are, uh, like Jesus, for example. We have a really good example of being single, and it's still working out pretty well. <laughs> Paul, the guy, one of the guys that wrote Colossians, also single, worked out pretty well. Being in a relationship is not the thing that defines you. That should be Jesus. So that's thing number one. 
That's thing number one that competes for our loyalty. Thing number two, oh, yeah, I, like you all knew this was coming, so it's not going to surprise you if you've been around church for any length of time. Cash. Right? Money. So if you've never even like been around church a ton, you've probably heard that quote from Jesus even, like you can't worship both God and money. Right? Uh, so some translations actually preserve that original word uh, called mammon, and it says you can't worship both God and mammon. Uh, that's a very American way to pronounce that word. Uh, the original word is pronounced mammon, if you feel like feeling smarter later. But mammon was actually a god in the ancient world. Also made his house in a place called modern-day Turkey, which is, again, a small stone's throw from Colossae, this letter's recipients. Now, how you worshipped a god in the ancient world was you behaved as much like that god as you possibly could. So if you worshipped a god of war, you were not fun to be around because you killed a lot of people. If you worshipped a god of sex, like Aphrodite, you went down to the temple and you had some strangers and used your imagination. If you worship the God of the Bible, you look as much like that God as possible. You do what he does in every situation, and you look as much like him, act like him, talk like him as much as you can. Like, you ever heard that phrase, be more like Jesus? Yeah, worship hasn't changed in thousands of years. It's still the same rules. But this God, Mammon, was a little bit of a different one. This was the ancient Near East God of the hustle. He's the God of wealth. And so the way that you worshipped Mammon was you did everything you could to make more money, make more money, make more money, and you hoard it for yourself, whether it's like possessions or luxuries or big houses and all the cash you can, hoard it for yourself. I mean, and then on whatever day you go down to the temple, throw some of it at uh, that God, Uh, but then hoard the rest for yourself. Why do you make the money that you make? Is it you know what, I just want to have a ton of it. Like, I want to get, like, that luxury. I want to have stacks on stacks on stacks. Like, that's the life I want for myself. Or is money a means to an end? As in, okay, we need to actually put a roof over the family's head. We need to make sure everyone's fed. Uh, But then also, I should be generous with that and, like, look out for other people. Also, we should tithe because that's an obedience issue, not a voluntary issue. Um, Again, real quiet, nice. Uh, But also, like, have you, like... In the last month, don't answer this for yourselves, have you spent any money on anybody besides yourself? Why do you make the money that you make? Is it just to get more and then be rich because that's what we want to do? Or is it a means to an end to actually uh, get to do what you want to do or worship the way you want to worship? Because again, the way you worship a God, the way you worship our God is you behave as much like him as possible, which also means Jesus is king. So when you're at work, when you're debating, like, should you try to, like, get that promotion or not, is is all your decision-making based on, you know what, this would help me honor God better, this would help me look more like Jesus, or this side will make me more money. Whatever makes that decision, whether it's Jesus or money, you have now established as king. Make it Jesus. That's number two. I promise you it was three. Uh, This one, the third one, uh, is the sneakiest of the three, I think, but also one I think that's pretty necessary to mention. Third thing that competes for our loyalty the most, I think, is acceptance. 
as in that fear of rejection, like you want to belong somewhere, that. So first off, in order to be a Christian, you have to be a contrarian. That is how it works. For them in Colossae, that meant, okay, we've got to go ahead and commit some treason here that a lot of people are not going to be happy about, and we're going to have to live with the consequences. That's not the extremity that we're in in America at this point. But whether it is sexuality, what sex is for, how marriage works, when should you get divorced, what you use your money for, how you engage in politics, what do you do with people that you don't agree with, uh, do you have enemies, and how do people get labeled an enemy, all of those things and tons more Jesus and our culture don't agree on. In order to be a Christian, you have to be a contrarian. You have to be comfortable with the fact that somebody's not going to like you. But that's a 30,000-foot level kind of view uh, on the situation. That's kind of like a conceptual, like, in-your-brain kind of thing. Let me drive this down uh, into more of a reality one-to-one situation. So uh, I went on vacation in February, uh, and, you know, we were gone over a Sunday's length of time. Uh, and so I was like, oh, i got to find a church to go to. And we were visiting some friends uh, in South Carolina, and they were working on a church plant. They were part of the core team for that. Uh, and so I was like, oh, I'll go there on Sunday because, well, why not? I mean, like, let's go worship Jesus even if we're not at the home base. You know what I mean? Yeah, nice. Cool. You're still with me. I like that. This works best when we talk back and forth. All right. You're not going to distract me. And if you do, we'll laugh about it. All right? All right. And so uh, that Sunday I was like, all right, hey, Matt. That's his name. Matt. Uh, let's, I'll go to church with you. He's like, yeah, like, I got to be there early because I'm on this planting team, but just kind of show up when you can. I was like, all right, cool. So I go into the church, and it got real weird real quick. Like, I walked, like, past the greeters. No one said anything to me. I was like, that's pretty weird. Uh, I went to, like, check in my daughter, like, in their kids' ministry. Again, nobody talked to me. I was like, that's real strange. And I was like, you know what? Maybe the ushers will have this. And so I went into this sanctuary, past the ushers. Nobody talked to me. And then I was like, okay, somebody in here is in charge of, like, guest services. I found that person because they all wear lanyards. Uh, and I was like, hi, I'm Chad. I know, I came on strong. I'm like, hi, I'm Chad. And they were like, hey. Hey. I was like, oh, this is getting weird. Went through the whole church service. And then after service, nobody would talk to me still. I'm like, what is going on? Matt. What is happening? Like, did I not shower? Am I giving off some creeper vibe? Like, am I coming on too strong to everybody? Like, what is happening? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, so that's a problem we've been having. <laughs> what? <laughs> he said, so most of our core team, they're like Gen Z. I mean, they either just got out of college or they're in college wrapping that up. And their number one fear in the world is that you as a stranger are going to reject them. So it stops them from being able to actually have a conversation with you because you're a stranger, but you have an opinion. And if your opinion of them isn't good, they're, gonna, they're not, they're not going to be able to handle it. And so they can't really start or maintain a conversation with you. First of all, can we appreciate the irony of a church planting team unable to talk to people? 
right? Like when you plant a church, I don't know if any of you have been around a church plant. Well, when you plant a church, you kind of got to talk to everybody in hopes that a few will show up to church on Sunday, right? You kind of got to do that. You got to do some weird stuff. You got to run some events like a food truck uh, and do that so that people will actually show up. Like that's funny on its own. But notice why they needed to be accepted even from a stranger and because they were afraid it might not happen, they couldn't talk to me. Do not let fear of rejection make your decisions. When it comes down to you even looking at another human being, if Jesus is king, it's okay if they don't like you. That's why we have church. So you and 50 or 100, however many, I can't count, 100 of your closest friends and all your family tuning in online, when you see each other, you accept each other. So when you go back out there in the rest of the world, it's okay if they don't like you. You are accepted with Jesus, so you always have a home base. You always have a safe place to operate out of. So when it comes down to make that decision, big, small, or otherwise, is it fear of rejection or Jesus that's making the call? But Paul and Timothy ain't done with their Colossian church. Notice this, where it's continuous. So they just said all these bombs and the room is dead silent and terrified. And all of a sudden they say this, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Yeah, Caesar got a gospel, whatever. Jesus is better. But that's a big if. That makes us uncomfortable in church, right? Because we're like, everything's great. Things are great. We're get to be together. But also, that's a big if. If you continue in the gospel. Now, that's pretty good news for one group of people, like those of us that make horrible decisions and maybe last night did not go so well. We're like, oh, I can start over. Yay. But for the other side, people were like, I've been doing the right thing all the time. I was hoping to coast. No. That's not on the menu either. But continuing in the gospel, continuing to decide that Jesus is king is where it's at. If you're feeling bold, as in you want yourself to know, everybody else to know, uh, everybody who watches this thing online, which is a lot of people, to know two weeks from today, we're going to baptize you right in the front here. But I don't want to do it today. Here's why. I want you to think about the choice. I am not about emotionally guilting you into making a decision that's fake. But take the two weeks between now and then and decide, is Jesus really king? If you ain't made that decision yet, first of all, talk to us. I'll buy you food, whatever. Like, we'll get coffee during the week, whatever you want to do. We'll hang out, we'll chat. I'm here, Joelle's here, our entire team is around. Find someone who looks like they belong here and just be like, hey, I'm trying to make a choice. But that choice is before you, as in, who's in charge here? Who's in charge for you? 
Is it Jesus or anything else? You choose. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for what you did on our behalf. Like you did not have to come down from heaven, but you chose to anyway. You chose to actually like be born like a human being, super poor and humble, and decide to go through life, show us how to live, and then die for our mistakes, and then come out of a grave three days later so we would have the chance to know you. God, thank you for that. Thank you that we live in a country where we get to have this conversation in public. Thank you for everything you've done for us, God. But also as we go through the rest of today and tomorrow and all the tomorrows that you give us, help us make that choice that Christ alone is King. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.